This podcast contains real talk about the mayhem of motherhood, along with a weekly medical mystery. Because all of these topics can be pretty graphic, and because we use explicit language, listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Motherhood, Mayhem, and Medical Mysteries podcast. On this show, we are not attempting to solve the major medical mysteries of the world or tell you how to raise your kids. We are definitely not doctors or scientists of any kind. We are just two moms here to provide you with support, resources, and maybe a few laughs along the way. We do a lot of research and will definitely share the things we learn, but please talk to a professional if you have specific concerns about your experiences. Here's Melanie. She has a full back piece tattoo. And here's Miranda. She likes games like Settlers of Catan. So I know your family was in and you had a great time, but you also alluded that there was something that happened at the airport, maybe? Okay. So actually, you know, I've had a summer full of family, and this was on the trip where just Jonah and I were going to visit my family back in Ohio. So as you know, I said farewell to the Prius. It was hard, but she served (laughs) me well. I traded her in for this fancy new hybrid spaceship. It's amazing. You've seen it. It's incredible. It is amazing. Well, it was it was a recent thing. And, you know, anytime, even if you just drive someone else's car, or you're switching cars and you're you're not used to it. There's oh, there's yeah. a learning curve there. Right? Yeah, yeah, totally. So my husband's car is always full of music equipment. So it's basically a a car that could seat seven that has room for two at any given point. (laughs) Right. So he's dropping Jonah and I off at the airport because we're flying to Ohio. And he's never driven my car before at this point. Like, it's new enough that he hasn't so much as driven it around the block. So all of these bells and whistles and everything are brand new to him. Mm -hmm. So it's real busy at the airport. And he's doing the, you know, pull over, dump us off, bye-bye, you know, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm always nervous about the airport. Our airport here is smaller, but if there is a glitch in the situation, it can take forever to get through TSA. So, I, mm-hmm. and I kind of have anxiety about stuff like that anyway. So I'm oh, always yeah, I like, do too. Oh, it's the worst. Oh my gosh. I would rather be early right. and have to look around at the stupid gift shop for like a half an hour than yes. to be running in late. Same, same. So... He drops us off, and thankfully the TSA line isn't long, but we were actually checking a bag, which I often try not to do. But when you're going somewhere for over a week, there just really isn't a choice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So as we're walking up to the counter of our airline to drop the (laughs) to drop our bag off, I go to grab my ID out of my wallet. And the keys to my car are (gasps) still in my purse. No. No. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So 
what happened? Okay, well, first, Jeremy's first already all, left. He's driving off with, and and this is the only key is the key that's in your purse at the airport. He's already like off on his way. There's in another your car. key. There was another key here at the at our house. Oh my goodness! But, but okay, so but no other key of, in the vehicle. Didn't it like no, beep at no. you or get angry or? It probably did, but he's never driven the car before, so oh, like wow. he's not. And I mean, you saw my car. It has so many like things. It's yeah. like if you've never driven it before. I mean, clearly it wasn't, it was probably some fancy little space age thing that was saying, it was flashing and it was being like, bong, bong, but obviously it was quiet. Yeah. So here's me, because you know, you know, you have to be careful at airports. Like honestly, ever since 9-11, like you can't bebop around an airport acting weird and shady or panicky or anything. Like it raises eyebrows. So I'm having like a silent panic attack as i'm realizing and she's of course asking me questions and i can't even hear what she's saying because i'm like oh my god what are we gonna do you know (laughs) and then jonah is finally to the age that he's like tall enough like he's almost as tall as me and Mm -hmm. so now they've started asking him like What's your name? Oh, no. What's so he's getting interrogated. Yeah. Oh, bless. Okay. Oh, goodness. So all that's going it's on. so stressful. And I'm like, I just want them to take the bag. So then we know that the bag is going to get on the plane. We're sure. not certain about us yet. So I'm scoping out TSA and it's not that busy. So immediately I call my husband. But mm-hmm. here's another fun fact about actually both of us. And neither of us ever have notifications on on our phone. Our phones so are silent. Ring. If, we're, yeah. if we're not looking at it, might as well be a paperweight. Not a clue what's happening. <laughs> oh, wow. And obviously, it's not linked with the car because mine automatically links to the car. Right, but, but he's he never driven your car. Yeah, right, he's not, exactly. He's not hooked up. He's not integrated. Right. Oh right. my goodness. So I'm so Q, stressed out right now. I'm so stressed so, out. I'm so flustered for this story. You, me, uh, sending a series of texts and then calling, 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 all caps, 10 exclamation <laughs> marks. Do not turn off the car. Right. Do not right. turn off the car. Whatever exactly. you do, do not turn off the car. Oh my goodness gracious. Oh because my god. Because he was he was leaving there to run an errand. Like he had like I think his like his car tax bill or something was due. So like I knew that he was driving somewhere that he would be getting out of the car. Like he wasn't so just he wasn't going home. straight home. Oh right. no. Yeah. And that's so the if, problem. He'll drive as long as it's still on that trip, but he'll never be able to start the car up again. Right, exactly. So then Jonah has his like kids watch phone and he's calling him and like (laughs) he's like he never answers his phone. I don't even know why he has a phone. Like my eight year old sounds like a like an old woman. (laughs) Like a boomer, right? That's amazing. (laughs) So finally he got to where he was going, but here's what he said. It wasn't even my phone messages that he noticed. I had gone so far as to, I was like trying to blow up the phone any way I could. I was like, right, right. Um, messenger, Facebook messenger, video calling him. Like, I'm anything, like, anything, anything that you can do. You should have sent him a woof. 
<laughs> right. No kidding. It's like I needed a wolf. But anyway, it, it wasn't oh because gosh. of my messages. He said that he was it was very, very hot. I mean, we have had a horribly hot summer. So yeah. before he got out of the car, he was getting his stuff together. And then he went to look for the keys. Thank oh, God. And then he looked he at did. the phone yeah. and he was like, holy crap. Wow. And then, of course, I was like very frustrated because at this point, it's been 17 minutes that I have been calling him and I'm watching the TSA line because we still have to go through that. And Jonah's in a panic because I am anxious. So anyway, it all worked out. We met him like handed him the keys through the window goodness okay so he came back through oh yeah i thought you would i thought you would appreciate that and he's like i know he goes i know your car told me i just had never driven it before and i had no idea what was going on oh my goodness gracious so miranda how how was your weekend last weekend i haven't talked to you since then (laughs) Well, it was easier than that, but we still had kind of a crazy thing happen that I wanted to tell you that was so funny. So, you know, I went off on this whole tangent when we had our chocolate party to celebrate the reading, the commemorative reading of Roald Dahl's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, right? Oh, yes. Yes. It was okay. It was I a do remember. Hit. Yes. Mm-hmm. It was so fun, at least for me. So, you're talking we- about for your family at your home. Correct. The, the three. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. We read Just we read Charlie the sure. Chocolate Factory with Fisher and he loved it. And so then we watched the movie. We had a chocolate party. My friend loaned us her fondue pot. It was wonderful. But um I, I hold had on. This, Important yeah. question. Which yeah. version? Oh, the old one, definitely. Okay. Yeah, Gene Wilder all the way. I'm okay. very yeah. I it's not to say I don't like the Johnny Depp version. I I hate everything about the movie except for Johnny Depp. <laughs> okay. And and I love Johnny Depp. But anyway, I had it in my head that since we read Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, we should read the other Roald Dahl books. So we read James and the Giant Peach. I made a peach cobbler. We watched the movie. It was great. Okay. So this weekend we just finished reading Matilda. Remember that one? Yeah. Really good book. Really good book. So we read Matilda and I'm like, let's watch the movie. So we go to watch the movie. I didn't make anything this time. I thought about it, I, but I'm, I'm going there. So we're, <laughs> we're watching the movie and you know the part where the trench bowl makes the little boy eat the chocolate cake like in front of the whole school? No. Oh, man. Okay. So there's I've this I've literally part. never seen it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It is such a good movie. You and Jonah need to watch it. He yeah, would we'll, love it. We'll add it to our list. But you okay. Really so he has okay. to eat a chocolate cake in front of the whole school. So he, like, sneaks into the Trunchbull's office and, like, eats a piece of cake. And so to punish him, she makes him eat this, like, massive chocolate cake. Like, the whole chocolate cake in front of the whole school. And Sounds it's terrible. like. Yeah, it is terrible. She's a terrible person, the Trunchbull. But this is like to teach him a lesson. Uh, so he's up there and he's eating the cake and the, ch- the school eventually like all the kids kind of start cheering for him and, and they're like, you can do it, Brucey. And they're like clapping for him to do it, which is a very moving scene. But he's sitting up there and he's like shoving this cake into his mouth. And it's very graphic in the okay. way in which he's eating it. It's a lot of close ups of the lips. And so it can be it can be a lot. It's a lot. It's a big, 
big piece of cake. Well, so fish are sitting on the couch. Brad's sitting next to me. And, you know, Brad and I, of course, are just like laughing about the whole thing. And Fisher like has covered his mouth up and I'm, I'm kind of looking at him and he's kind of sitting there with his hand over his mouth and Fisher kind of starts doing this little shoulder move like oh, he's no. maybe gagging a little bit. And and I'm kind of paying attention and I'm like, what's happening is what I think about to happen. And Brad goes, Fisher, are you pretending that you're eating the chocolate cake? Because he's got his hands like he's just like he's putting yeah. his hands over his mouth. Oh, oh, and by no. the time I realized it was like one of those paper towel commercials where they're in slow motion and they're like, no. My kid blew chunks all over the whole living room just from watching this scene in the movie. It was insane. I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen somebody get physically oh, sick no. watching watching a movie of somebody eating. <laughs> it was the craziest thing. And so here's the best part, though. Here's the best part. I had just eaten a That's bowl of popcorn. Terrible. It's terrible, but it was hilarious. And I was like, what just happened? I've in my brain could not register how he watched this and then it <laughs> affected him. I mean, wow. mirror neurons in his brain must have just been going crazy. But I had just polished off my bowl of popcorn. And so <laughs> I'm sitting there with an empty bowl in my lap and I'm like, no, like lunging toward him to catch it. Oh, it was crazy. It was Did the craziest you catch thing it? you've ever seen. Some of it some of it but um oh, I, we, we wow. laughed about that thing we laughed about that thing and this is what i get because it's like i have these cute expectations in my head of like oh we're gonna have family movie night and watch matilda it's gonna be so great and then my kid literally throws up everywhere i just this is is what happened i know it was crazy so that was my weekend that was my weekend oh wow (laughs) okay mayhem mamas we have a very important topic to share with you tonight and i'm really hoping that everybody out there pays attention to what melanie is about to teach us (laughs) yeah uh we hope that you do, but if if you can't, just you know, do your best because that's all any of us can do. Don't um, get distracted. You need to stay focused and, and sh- try to give us your full and undivided attention. <laughs> I'm sure most of you have inferred that we are talking about ADHD or Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. This is, as always with me, going to be a shallow dive because as I was researching, I found that there are many different directions that we could go to find a whole lot of information about specific parts of this. But I thought I would start off with some facts and like statistics. I know you like statistics, Miranda, Mm -hmm. but millions of children have been diagnosed with ADHD. It's estimated that the number of children between three and 17 years of age diagnosed with ADHD is 6 million. So that puts it close to almost 10% of children in the United States, if I'm reading that correct. 
By the way, this information is from the Centers for Disease Control website. And of course, as always, it will be listed in our sources. These numbers are taken from research data that was done between 2016 and 2019, but it was the most current information that I could find. Those studies take a while to correlate Mm -hmm. and all. Oh, yeah. So this is saying that approximately 2% of children between the ages of 3 and 5 are diagnosed with ADHD, 10% of children between the ages of 6 and 11, and 13% of children between the ages of 12 and 17. So it's a good amount of kids. Boys are actually more likely to be diagnosed with ADHD. You know, they love the stats and all of this Mm -hmm. stuff. Well, what's interesting, like you said, like boys more likely to be diagnosed than girls. And one of the things I've heard around that is it's a lot easier to diagnose in boys with the hyperactivity piece in particular. Girls may not manifest that particular symptom or characteristic quite as much as the boys do. Yeah, it's it's definitely predominantly it's something along the lines of 13 percent of boys and six percent of girls. Wow. So that's a substantial difference. Yeah, yeah. The number of kids diagnosed has really changed over the years. And I thought that was kind of an interesting trend that I wanted to mention. In 2003, 4.4 million. And then in 2007, it went up to over five. 2011, it was over six, like 6.4 million. Wow. And then 2016 to 2019, it dropped back down. So I don't have anything to back this up, but it almost seems like it was kind of like a popular diagnosis for a minute. And then they might have mm-hmm. reined it back in a bit, mm-hmm. which is probably a good thing. Well, and I wonder, too, what impact COVID had on that. Because if well, these see, kids and- were at home and not in school, yeah, this was pre-COVID, your right. stats. But I wonder if it's going to dip even more because those kiddos just weren't in front of their teachers I would be willing to bet that there's going to be some huge studies that come out about COVID as it relates to ADHD. One thing that is also important to mention is that many children with ADHD also have other disorders. According to the National uh, 2016, and this is actually from a parent survey that was done in 2016, but it was a substantial one. Six in 10 children with ADHD had at least one other mental, emotional, or behavioral disorder. Wow. Um, about half, half of them had a behavioral or conduct problem, and about three out of every 10 had anxiety And it Mm. does list some of the other um, conditions, the common ones that affect kids who also have ADHD, or it's like a co-occurring diagnosis kind of situation. Mm -hmm. They list also depression, autism spectrum disorder, and Tourette's syndrome. Hmm. So I thought that that was interesting. Very much so. Very much so. Wow. I'll stop boring you with the statistics. We're going to talk about ADHD. What is it? And what are the signs and symptoms? Yes. It is normal for children to have trouble focusing or behaving at one time or another. That is normal. That's normal child behavior. Mm -hmm. Children with ADHD have those behaviors, but they do not grow out of them. They continue and can be severe, causing issues with school, home, and even with friends. Here is a brief list of symptoms. 
A child with ADHD might daydream a lot. They might forget or lose things often. They might squirm or fidget. They may talk too much. They make careless mistakes or take unnecessary risks. They often have a hard time resisting temptation, have trouble taking turns, and difficulty getting along with others. So I thought that was a pretty good list. That's, you know, that's a start. Yeah, you know, it's it's a pretty good list, and it pretty much describes me in uh, kindergarten, <laughs> first grade, second grade, until I uh, found Adderall. <laughs> there, well, there we go. And we'll get to that in just a second. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there are different types. And over the years, I was looking back at this, over the years, ADHD has had different names. It used to just be called ADD. Now it's all classified as ADHD, and they've subcategorized it. So I'm just going to touch on these for a second. There are three different types of ADHD. There is the predominantly inattentive presentation. So these are kids that are distracted or forget details. There is the predominantly hyperactive slash impulse presentation. And so that's a kid that fidgets, can't sit still, is constantly moving. Or there's the combined presentation where you get both. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was that was interesting. To look back at it, they've changed titles and names as with everything, I, I'm sure. But you know me, Miranda, I always want to figure out why. Why, why, why? Yeah. I was very disappointed. They don't know. <laughs> they don't would know. You, would you say it's a medical mystery? <laughs> I would call it a medical mystery. Uh. So they have over the years done a lot of study on risk factors to try to figure out how to reduce the chances of a person having ADHD. There are some studies that link it to genetic factors, which I'm sure is very interesting, but is also very detailed. A few of the studies that I looked at linked it to causes and risk factors, including brain injury, exposure to environmental risks. It specifically focused on lead. Apparently, if you were around a lot of lead as a young child or while your mother was pregnant, that can have an effect. Drug or alcohol use during pregnancy, low birth weight, and premature, you know, if a baby's premature, a lot of times they're more likely to have ADHD. But nothing for certain. Now, I did also find that research does not support the very popularly held views that ADHD is caused by eating too much sugar, watching too much television, by parenting, or by social and environmental factors such as family chaos or poverty. So Can there you just is... say that? Can you just say that again for the record, please? Step yeah. up on your formal 4M soapbox with a little sticker of us on the bottom of it and proclaim that to the world. Okay, I'll, I'll take it from the top. Research does not support the popularly held views that ADHD is caused by eating too much sugar, watching too much television, by parenting or social and environmental factors, including family chaos or poverty. Thank you. So there it is. 
Thank now, you very much. Uh, of course, because there always has to be an of course with everything in with life. an asterisk <laughs> behind Melanie's many proclamation. Many things, including those that I just listed, might make symptoms worse. Worse. As, worse. Especially in certain people, because mm-hmm. as with all people, People who have ADHD are very different from one another, but there is no evidence strong enough to conclude that any of those things cause ADHD. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Say we suspect that our child has ADHD. How do we determine that? How how do we determine that, Melanie? How do we determine that? Okay, well, I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to try to keep it as brief as possible because this got real detailed. But the, yeah, if you, several... if you went through all those details, I'm not sure we'd be able to pay attention. So I, I'm certain you wouldn't, whether you have ADHD <laughs> or not. So there is no single step to diagnose ADHD. It, it takes several steps. So you have to rule out other problems because many other problems have similar symptoms. And those would include anxiety, depression, issues with sleep, and certain types of learning disabilities can present the same way as ADHD. Mm -hmm. When you initially go to figure this out, you need to have a medical exam, and they usually include hearing and vision tests, and that's to rule out other problems that might be causing a child to, you know, I mean, if you can't hear or see what's going on in the classroom, it's going to be really hard for you to pay attention. Oh, yeah. Great point. Great point. Now, when we get down to it, this is the DSM-5 criteria for ADHD. People with ADHD show a persistent pattern of inattention and or hyperactivity impulsivity that interferes with their functioning or development. This is an actual checklist. And what's interesting about this is the things that I'm about to read off. If a person has six or more when they're under the age of 16, that qualifies them for an ADHD diagnosis. If they are 17 years or older, they only have to have five of the symptoms that I'm about to list. (laughs) And the important thing to note is they have to have persisted for at least six months. So this can't just be, you know, kids get weird when they're having growth spells or if there's changes or whatever. These would be stress in the family, trauma. Yeah. That persist for six months. So that's a long time. But Mm -hmm. here is the list. This is the inattention list. And then we have another one. Often fails to give to give close attention to details or makes careless mistakes in schoolwork. Often has trouble holding attention on tasks or play activities. Often does not seem to listen when spoken to. Why are you looking at me? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> she felt like, she's like this I'm off. like laughing at she's, you because she's, you're she's diagnosing to me, me right now. But you're not looking at me at all. Like you're totally doing something else, which what? is there's there's a gnat buzzing around. Uh huh. I'm sure. I'm sure that's what it is. Because other than right now, you've always been completely attentive. Oh my gosh. Does not follow through on instructions or fails to finish schoolwork, chores, or duties in the workplace. They lose focus or get sidetracked. Often has trouble organizing tasks or activities. 
as adults, they might require three planners to keep their life organized. That, I know. That's that's not on here. Often avoids, dislikes, or is reluctant to do tasks that require mental effort over a long period of time. They lose things necessary for tasks. Now, like I said, because I have an eight-year-old and like he checks almost all of these boxes. Like mm -hmm. he loses everything. But like I mentioned, it has to persist for over six months and actually be a real impediment to their yeah, life. It has to really interfere. Yeah. Right. They are often easily distracted and often forgetful in, a, in daily activities. Now, that was the first chart. So that was for the kids or for anyone with the inattention portion. The next part is for hyperactivity or impulsivity. And this is the same deal. You have to have six of these symptoms if you're under the age of 16. And then if you're over the if you're 17 or older, it's just five. So often fidgets with or taps hands or feet, squirms in the seat, often leaves their seat in situations when remaining seated is expected, often runs about or climbs in situations where it is not appropriate. <laughs> off me. I'm just picturing I'm just picturing several people that I know. Often unable to play or take part in leisure activities quietly. Often on the go, acting as if they are driven by a motor. It's one of my favorite phrases in the DSM, by the way. That's one of my favorite phrases. Yeah, yes, I love that in, so much. It is in quotes. <laughs> Often talks excessively, blurts out answers before the question has been completed, has trouble waiting their turn, or interrupts or intrudes on others, butts into conversations or games. We're all, we all check some of these boxes, but as I stated, it's six or more for kids. I thought that was interesting. Like I said, I made that as brief as possible because I know it's no fun to listen to lists of things, but I, I hope that you No, I'm actually kind of really glad that you got that out, though, because I know so often we as parents are questioning what that line is between, is this normal for my kid to act this way, this way? And or or are they a little bit more severe, you know, in some of these presentations? So the fact that right. like you literally just read the DSM out loud to us is so helpful to so many people. So yeah. in addition to meeting those checklists that I that I just read to you all, there are other conditions that have to be met. So several of the inattentive or hyperactive impulsive symptoms have to have been present before the age of 12. So not all of them, but some of them have to have been present. Several symptoms are present in two or more settings. So like if this is a setting specific behavior, like they're only acting this way at school, but not having any of those problems at home, it's likely not ADHD. It could be a whole other issue that you would have to look into. There also has to be clear evidence that the symptoms interfere with or reduce their quality of functioning in mm -hmm. whatever environment they're in, whether that's socially at school or work. And the symptoms are not better explained by another mental health disorder, which I mentioned that at the top, but the ones it lists as possible other 
disorders are mood disorder, anxiety, personality disorder. Of course, you have to rule out some of the really serious situations like schizophrenia or other psychotic disorders. But if there's no other explanation and those things are met, then it is most likely a case of ADHD. Now, for us adults, you know, obviously, many of us are dealing with these situations with our children. The fun thing about ADHD is that it often lasts into adulthood. I read in about a third of cases, people will continue to have ADHD when they pass the age of 17. And sometimes hyperactivity, you mentioned the difference between girls and boys with the hyperactivity piece. Sometimes that looks very different um, in adults as well. It may seem just like restlessness or or wearing others out with their activity. <laughs> I saw that listed a couple places. What's what's so funny, Miranda? <laughs> what do you say? What you say? I wear you out, Melanie, with my um, with my activities. <laughs> As a general uh, statement, no. But on occasion, yes. Yes. When you're on a, a roll, it can be a lot. Uh, now I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go into a whole lot more because I feel like you're gonna talk to us some about behavioral stuff and, and things that can be done in that regard. In most cases, ADHD is best treated with a combination of therapy and medication. So the one thing I thought was really interesting, and like I said, shallow dive, so I didn't get into this. All of these things mention training for parents. I didn't dive into that, but something about that had my hackles up. I didn't like it. (laughs) So maybe that's just me. (laughs) Training for parents is recommended as a first line Hmm. of treatment. Now, of course, Every case is different, like I mentioned, but there are several medications that can be very valuable to folks who have ADHD. The most commonly known ones are stimulants, and between 70 and 80% of kids who have ADHD have much lesser symptoms if they're on stimulants. There are also some non-stimulant medications that are approved for ADHD, but that approval didn't come out until 2003. The stimulants have been around for, I mean, going on 40 years, which is amazing. Oh, probably 50. The one thing about medications, and this is true on anything that we're taking medication on, they affect every child or adult differently. And for some kids, they'll have really big side effects. For other kids, they won't. So sometimes it's a trial and error situation. So you have to have a really good treatment team, a good pediatrician, and somebody who's open to, which I know that can be hard to find, but you have to have somebody that's willing to listen to you as a parent. One of the biggest side effects that they notice in kids is a decreased appetite or issues sleeping. Yeah. And I know of a couple kids Mm -hmm. that have really big issues with the decreased appetite. A friend of the family, actually, they only keep him on the medication during the school week. I know they've talked with the doctor about that because he literally won't, can't eat. And they've tried different things, but it's one of those things. Yeah. I I think I'm going to cut it off at that because there's a whole nother layer to this. And I think we'll keep that for another day. But anyway, in a very long nutshell, that is ADHD. 
It's really, really good stuff. And, you know, medication can be so helpful because it really and truly is a chemical deficiency in your brain. And when you have a medication that's working to support that deficiency, it can really make a big difference. Really, really good stuff there. Thank you for that overview. Well, and I think, and I'll leave with this one thought. I I think that the most important, aside from that whole part that I restated twice about it not having to do with being caused by sugar or TV or whatever, I think that the really important thing for us as parents to remember is that, you know, if our child has ADHD, that's not our fault. Like there's nothing that we did, right? but it is our responsibility right. to get our kids what they need to be successful. And so if you have a kid that is so distracted and so hyperactive, and a lot of times there's a whole lot of frustration mm-hmm. that comes with all of that, and they're going to benefit oh, from yeah. medicine, try it at least try it because I know that there are a lot of folks out there who are really resistant to quote unquote, putting their kids on meds. I mean, life is frustrating enough. We don't want a kid going through that's so distracted that they can't learn anything and they're behind on everything. And they're always agitated and anxious and over the top, you know, just come to terms with the fact that it might be a thing your kid needs. That's all. That's all I have to say about that. (laughs) Love it. Okay, Miranda, so I know when we were planning this episode, we decided to just make this whole episode about ADHD, but I don't know specifically what you're going to teach us. So what is it? Yes. So I wanted to kind of take it a step further and uh, thank you so much for giving us a really good understanding and description of ADHD and how that impacts our kiddos. I want to kind of take it to the next step and talk about parenting kiddos with ADHD and also talk about how we can help them be successful in a school setting. Good. That sounds like good information. Which, by the way, from from your stats was, um, what were the stats again for ages? of and prevalence there because I think they got higher the older the kiddos got. The statistics are that 2% of kids aged 3 to 5 and that that works out to being 265,000 children ages 3 to 5, 2.4 million kids ages 6 to 11, so 10% of 6 to 11-year-olds, and 3.3 million Mm. kids from 12 to 17, and that comes out to about 13% of kids in that age range. Wow. Yeah. So we see it a lot more, at least from the diagnosis clinical standpoint, once they're in school. And I think that school kind of lends itself to helping make that diagnosis. Yeah. Right? For sure. That's where you really have kind of that ground where you can test their performance, their uh, social skills, and all of these things in a more formal standardized setting where you have like a, for lack of a better word, sample size to compare them to. So no surprise there, but definitely our, our kids are going to be more likely to have this diagnosis while they're in school. So right. that's what I wanted to kind of hone in on. And like you, I also went to the CDC's website and pulled oh, some well. stats. I know. Look at us. We're twinsies. I looked at the same parent survey from 2016 that you referenced, but it was talking about treatments. So I want to kind of okay. highlight treatment for kids with ADHD. And I was really encouraged to see that 77% 
of children with an ADHD diagnosis are receiving treatment. So that's awesome. Yeah, that's 77%. really good. Yeah, that's really good. Seven out of 10. And almost nine out of 10 children are receiving school support, which can include accommodations and, you know, additional help in the classroom. That's really good. Really, really awesome to see that our schools and our parents and kind of that whole support system is working together to make sure these kids can be successful. And in addition to just like overall school support, six out of 10 specifically are receiving some type of behavioral treatment or skills training. So more on the soft skill, social side of things and behavioral support than necessarily academic performance. And that's another misconception out there about ADHD. A lot of times children with ADHD can perform just as well academically as their peers, but because they struggle with the inattention and and the impulsivity and a lot of the things you mentioned, it's a lot harder for that intelligence to show up on standardized yeah. tests and, and quizzes and things like that that would be, you know, comparisons with their non-ADHD peers. So it really has no parameter or bearing on their intelligence or their propensity to learn so long as they have the right supports. That makes all the difference. All right. So you talked a lot about the symptoms. I want to kind of focus on how those symptoms really show up and manifest as challenges, particularly in a school setting. So a lot of kids with ADHD are really going to struggle with higher executive functioning because they're either inattentive to those things, because they're distracted from those things, or because they're just behaving impulsively and it's hard for them to kind of hone in and focus on what they need to in order to be successful. So kids with ADHD tend to have really significant challenges when it comes to planning, when it comes to mm -hmm. organization, when it comes to paying attention, and certainly when it comes to self-regulation. So those four areas are really important for us as parents Right. to kind of pay attention to, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially when, when kids get older and they have a little bit more autonomy and we're expecting them to turn assignments in on time. We're expecting them to, uh, you know, read the book for the book report that right. they have to, to give. To take responsibility. Yeah, all of these kinds things. of things. Yeah. And I will never forget and God bless my poor mother because she is a saint from heaven. I literally was that kid who would be like, oh, mom, by the way, the science fair's tomorrow and I'm supposed to have a trifold poster with like a science experiment that I'm supposed to oh, have done. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. I was that kid. I was that kid. And my mom, I'm telling you, this woman is an angel. She literally would keep like a stash of these supplies because she just knew. She learned. <laughs> she just knew that this was bound to happen with me as her daughter. So she would keep like a surplus of those tr cardboard trifold posters. Yeah, because they don't and sell I'll those just anywhere. And Amazon didn't. No, exist. you've got to go to like a special <laughs> store. Yeah, it's a whole thing. And uh, we, I, I remember it was literally the science fair was like the next day I had done nothing. I had shit to oh present. My gosh. And 
we we came up with this thing to like pop popcorn and we like had like three different brands of popcorn in the pantry and we're like which brand of popcorn is gonna pop the most kernels and so it was like a whole thing and we were all of us scrambling around up till midnight making these poster boards and you know with the glue sticks and the printer paper you know i i had something to submit so i'll say that but i did not have good planning or organization skills whatsoever you have no idea how much anxiety that just gave me like my science fair project i think i worked on for three months i had three ring binders (laughs) leslie nope style of like wow control versus the experiment i mean i would just hate man like i was like oh my gosh that's amazing well, yeah. did you go into state? But obviously wow. that couldn't have That's... been done in one night. There's no way. No, it's a wonder we were able to pop all that popcorn in one night. Oh I'm telling you what, we were all counting kernels till midnight. It was the worst. And the okay. other thing I'll always remember is I I would never bring home a, uh, a parental permission slip for a field trip. That no. drove my mom crazy. Like if there was a field trip like in two weeks and then, hey, the field trip's tomorrow, Miranda, we still haven't got your parental permission form. Who knows where that thing is, okay? That thing got ate by the billy goat that lived at the end of my driveway when I got off the bus. Like, who knows what happened to the permission form? It was bad. It was bad. That is bad. Okay, so how do we how do we handle these kids? <laughs> sorry, sorry. Help. I apologize for that tangent. Okay, okay. So really, I need to bring my mom on the podcast, and she needs to be <laughs> the one to tell you what to do. Um, but you know, it's no surprise that with all of these challenges. Kids with ADHD are at a greater risk to not perform well, both in academic and in social settings. So some other research that I found actually indicated that children with ADHD are more likely to repeat grades. They're more likely to use regular academic tutoring, which is actually a really great thing. Um, And they're often more likely to be enrolled in special education or resource classes than their peers who don't have ADHD. And that kind of goes back to what you said about comorbidities and other uh, learning disabilities and, and some other things that these children could also be diagnosed with in addition to ADHD. Right. So sometimes kids will also exhibit greater impairments with reading and just overall kind of academic performance, um, as well as higher rates of learning disabilities. So the moment you've all been waiting for, what do we do as parents? What do we do? What do we do? How do we make sure we give our children with ADHD some extra attention, especially when it comes to like getting ready to go back to school, start a new school year, start the year off on a good foot? Like these are all things we want to pay attention to. So one of the best things you can do for your child with ADHD is establish strong routines. 
Okay. Kiddos that have a really strong and stable routine can actually really help them to excel. They they need some parameters and some, I guess, boundaries to make sure that they're on that set schedule and on that set routine. So as we're preparing to go back to school and we're winding down these last few days of summer, make sure that you factor in some time to prepare your child for that new bedtime and that new early school routine. So practice that for a couple of weeks. Don't just wait till the first day of school and say, oh, hey, you've been sleeping in all summer till 9 a.m. Tomorrow you got to get up at six because we got to be out of here. No, don't do that. Make sure you build them up to it. That's a good tip for all parents. Yes. ADHD kiddos are not... (laughs) Get ready. Yeah. Make sure they just have time to get adjusted because it, it is a hard thing to do. And um, what I what I found was two weeks is really kind of the magic window to, to okay. get back on that schedule. So that's about right now. You know, get get back on that on that schedule. So routines, routines are wonderful. And, and again, make sure they they kind of know the the steps, you know, in the morning when I wake up, I do this, 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 this. At night before I go to bed, I do this, 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 this. There are so many like handy dandy little charts. And if, if your kid has like a checklist, there are apps now for older kids right. on a phone where they get points. And if they click all the things that they're supposed to do, they get points and then they can up in the game and there's leaderboards. It's a whole thing. So look into those tools because they can actually be super motivating and really helpful for your kiddos. Yeah, that's awesome. Really similar to routines is just making sure you communicate clear expectations. And this is especially important as your kids get a little bit older. Okay. So, so, so especially if you have a slip home. Bring the permission slip home, get your things done, you know, get your assignments turned in. One of the really cool tips that I found is when it comes to like homework space, set up an actual space for your child to work that's really conducive to them and be mindful of the fact that children with ADHD and teens with ADHD, their brains are a little bit different. So actually most children with ADHD perform better if there is some kind of music in the background or white noise in the background or something else to be kind of going on. It's harder for them to focus if they are just in a silent room locked away trying to work on something. I totally understand that. Yeah. So make sure whatever space they're working in is conducive to helping them focus in the way in which they do. My dad, you know, I think it's fair to say my dad has ADHD as well. And he was an electrical contractor for years till he retired. And every time I went into his office, the TV was on and he he could not think unless the TV was on. It was just background noise to him. And he did his best thinking and his best work if the TV was on as a as a distraction. So, you know, he'd have all his drawings and draft papers out and, you know, that's just be aware that your your kid's brain is a little bit different and they need different things in order to focus their best. But make sure with that you communicate those expectations, you talk about what they need and you talk about just in in hand in hand with that, the consequences if they're not doing what they need to do and performing, you know, at their best in the way that you would expect them to. Good tip because it's kind of the opposite of what you would think. Like you would send most kids into a quiet space to do their homework. 
Right, right. Like a quiet space with like no distractions. And really, you know, kids with ADHD, they do a lot better if they've got something and they can take frequent breaks. Another personal story. When I was in college and I had to take my comp exams, for me, my biggest challenge was sitting still in one place for a long period of time. And so I had told my teachers before my comps, I was like, hey, I may need to like move my desk. I may need to sit on the floor. Like I may need to sit against the wall. Like it's really, really hard for me to physically sit in this position just for a long period of time and write. And they were all super chill with that um, at my liberal arts college. Yeah, I was just going to say, um, of course they were. (laughs) Right. So I remember like at one point I'm like writing my final, you know, comprehensive exams for my whatever Western Civ class or philosophy or whatever I was in laying down on the floor on my belly because I yeah. can just focus and just get it all out. So there's all kinds of different ways to, to focus and support your kids in the way that they need. Organization. Organization is huge. Organization is huge. And kids with ADHD struggle with organization. So anything we can do as parents to make sure that everything has a place and everything is in its place is really, really helpful. Base is just so important. And if you can have calendars, if you can have backup items, if you can color code things, whatever you can do to make it easy. One thing that's used a lot actually in the manufacturing industry is this thing called shadow boards. And it's like kind of a a really easy way to see where everything goes. And you can actually hack a shadow board for your house or like your kid's room or like their desk where they study or in the morning where their backpack and lunchbox and shoes and clothes go, you can hack these things around the house and make sure your kid has everything where it's supposed to be. Really helpful. Good. Okay, going back to one of the things we talked about, especially with medication, is appetite. And it's really important for kids with ADHD to make sure that they're getting good nutrition and also a fair amount of exercise. There's a lot of research that shows exercise has a really positive impact on their focus and attention and a well-balanced diet with plenty of vitamins, minerals, nutrients, all of the things they need, especially if their appetite is suppressed and they're not eating as many calories, really important for brain development and just their overall health. So those are all kind of things at home that we can do when we get to school. You know, it's just ultimately at the end of the day, it's really important to make sure that you're having that conversation with your child's teacher or that you've helped your child to self-advocate and get the help that they need. And that can be as informal or as formal as as it needs to be, depending on, again, the needs of your child. So it could be that your child has a formal IEP or a Mm -hmm. 504 plan. Maybe they're getting assistive technology. Maybe they're getting frequent breaks, or maybe they get to test in a separate room, or they get some certain test accommodations things like that. Or it could be as informal as just your child going up to your teacher and saying, hey, can I sit at the front of the class? It's really hard for me to focus if I'm at the back of the room and and things like that. So just make sure that you are examining what's available, talking with your kid, talking with your parenting partner about what's going to help them be successful, and then actually following through and, and implementing it 
in the school setting. And there's two more things I want to highlight, and they're not really like formal things, but I think... I think they're the, the most important things and they're what's going to support everything else and make sure that everything else is successful. So these are undergirding everything I just said. And I want to end on these two supports. These are the anchors. Number okay. one, make sure you as a parent are managing your own stress. Hugely important. Okay. If you have a child with ADHD, they're going to be pushing your buttons. They're going to be testing your limits. It can be exhausting. It can be frustrating. It can be irritating. It can be everything my mom experienced when Mm -hmm. I was growing up. And it can be really, really hard to put that into perspective and try to show up and be the parent that your, your kid really needs. So make sure that you're taking the time for yourself. We talked about that in our Mother's Day episode. I know to make sure that we're filling our cups and managing our own stress. Your child isn't going to be successful if you can't be a good, healthy version of yourself. That's a really good tip and not something that you think think of like right off the bat. You're trying to manage them, but you need to be your best to, to be any good at that. Exactly. And it's like we run around and we're so anxious and we get ourselves all wound up about, oh, my kid, and I got to make sure they're okay and that they do well in school and da 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 da. And a lot of times, if you're approaching your child's limitations from this really high, strong, high stress, anxious frame of mind, all of that energy is going to be channeled right to your kid. They're sensing and feeling all of that. And so to kind of create that layer, that boundary and say, you know, hey, I'm going to approach this calmly and rationally and with the best love and support that I can is so, so huge. And that's one of my favorite things to talk about is just, you know, how do we handle and internalize all of that as parents and make sure we're really showing up for our kids in the way we can. That's an anchor. Nothing we do is going to be helpful if we don't do that. Okay. And then the other anchor Again, so important. Nothing else is going to work if you don't do this. Really try to love and nurture and focus on your child's strengths. Good. And That's really I, good. I think, you know, anytime we're dealing with a child who has a quote unquote diagnosis or a quote unquote limitation, it's really easy for us to put those things under the magnifying glass and find them more frequently, find them more often, fixate on them, focus on them and not pay as much attention to the things that our kids actually are doing really, really well and the things they're really, really good at and the things that make them unique and the things that make them them. Just as much as you are managing your own stress and nurturing yourself, take some time to really nurture your child's strengths and encourage them and find those things they're good at and praise them and love them and give them all of the support that you can for the things that they're really good at and try to not be coming at them and harping at them for all of their shortcomings over and over and over again. And I think an an important piece of that is, and and I'm going to try to word this the right way, There is this whole thing within parenting that is sort of like keeping up with the Joneses, like parents that are paying attention to what other kids do, comparing themselves as a parent to other Mm -hmm. parents, comparing their kids to other people's kids. 
do whatever you can to stay mm-hmm. out of that headspace. That doesn't benefit anyone. And I feel like in a lot of the situations that I've witnessed, the critiques and criticisms that I see people put on their kids aren't their own. They're comparing them to someone else. Mm -hmm. And I know that that's like a human nature thing. We all slide into that. That's why mean girls are mean and middle school is so rough. But don't allow yourself to have Mm -hmm. that approach to being a parent try to focus on the positives and what's good. Easier said than done, but try. That's all we can do is try. That's what you said at the beginning, and we're going to say it again now. That (laughs) is. That is. That's all we can do is try. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you. That's really good information. I think that that'll help a lot of people as we're kind of gearing up. I hate to say it for back to school time. Don't say it. I'm not ready. This has been such a great episode, and I think we should probably do more on ADHD in the future. So I know we'd love to hear from our Mayhem Mamas and find out what you think about this content and whether or not you want more of it. I know there's a ton of organizations out there that are trying to do some great work in the ADHD space. But what have you got for us tonight, Melanie, for our spotlight? Our spotlight this week is Chad. Not a guy named Chad, but an organization. (laughs) The initials are C-H-A-D-D. It stands for Children and Adults with Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. They were actually founded in 1987. And I'm reading, I'm going to read this right off of their website because I really like how they put this. Um, Chad was founded okay. in 1987 in response to the frustration and sense of isolation experienced by parents and their children with ADHD. At that time, one could turn to very few places for support or information. Many people seriously misunderstood ADHD. Many clinicians and educators knew little about the disability, and individuals with ADHD were often mistakenly labeled as a behavior problem, unmotivated, or not intelligent enough. And you mentioned oh, that, wow. and that that kind of still happens, wow. I think, in, in a lot of mm-hmm. situations. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's how Chad was started They provide information, support, and advocacy. They have a huge amount of resources on their website. The one big information resource they have is called the National Resource Center, and it was established to be the national clearinghouse for the latest evidence-based information on ADHD. Their mission, of course, is to provide information, education, and consultation about assessment, diagnosis, treatment, and issues of health and well-being for children with ADHD and their families. So Chad's website is www.chad.org. So everybody check that out. There's a ton of information on there. And Miranda and I are always harping on evidence-based studies You can find a ton of them through the National Resource Center, which is linked on the Chad website. If 
If you like what you hear from us, be sure to follow our show. And if you really like us, you can leave us a review on the podcast platform of your choice. We want to be friends with you. Connect with us on social media by following at Mother Mayhem Podcast or email us directly at mothermayhempodcast at gmail.com.